Greetings and welcome to the latest edition of the AMSSM Sports Medcast. I'm your host today, Dr. Devin McFadden, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. Jason Zaremski, Clinical Associate Professor, PM&R in Sports Medicine, Co-Medical Director of the Adolescent and High School Sports Medicine Outreach Program for the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at the University of Florida. Jason, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Devin. Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to be discussing uh, a weighted vol velocity throwing program. I'll turn it over to you. And if you could just define for us what a weighted vol velocity throwing program is and why it's become popular. Thanks. So the first thing to know is, you know, you have a standard, typically baseball, uh, not softball, so it's a little bigger, but you have a standard weight baseball, which is typically approximately five ounces or so. And so when someone uses the term a weighted ball program, they're suggesting that the ball they're using weighs more than five ounces. The, the easiest way to give an analogy, if, you've, if no one's ever used it, is uh, if folks used a donut when you're swinging a bat or using a, a heavy bat. It's the same concept. So you're using a heavier ball than the regulation ball that you'd use in, in a game or a practice. And, and why are people doing this? What is the potential advantages? So the thought is that the more than one uses a, a heavier ball in training is that will allow you to artificially increase your speed or the velocity, uh, in particular with pitchers, so that you become more successful. Um, as a lot of us know, particularly those of us in the sports mess in the world, there's been a significant increase in throwing velocity in probably the last 10 or 15 years, and it's most obvious at the, uh, at the major league level, since we can see on TV all the time, but even at the collegiate level and, and some of our top high schoolers are throwing much harder uh, than they were at the same ages in the 80s, 90s, and even the 2000s. So that, that's the, the reasoning behind it. And we have seen this in, in evidence-based research, as well as anecdotally, that these weighted ball programs can increase throwing velocity in a shorter amount of period than say with good old fashioned training and going through puberty and, and things like that. And we know that if folks throw harder, have a greater velocity, they have the opportunity to become more successful. So that's one of the positives of using weighted ball, you know, throwing programs and using weighted balls in training. Great. So you mentioned anecdotal research. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how long this is been around and, and what degree of research we actually have at this stage? Sure. So if you actually look through all the data, the, the actual evidence-based data, there's actually some research as far back as the 1960s, but then there, there wasn't a whole lot of it for a long time. And then there's been this increase in it in about the last, I would say, five to 10 years or so with a real increase in the last five years or so with the, the reemergence, if you will, and the uh, resurgence in interest in these programs, there's been, been more research in it. Uh, in particular, a study that was led by Mike Reinhold that got a lot of media play that showed a few years ago when using a weighted ball velocity throwing program uh, or not, the weighted ball program individuals did indeed increase their velocity in only six weeks. It was about three or four miles per hour, which is a little bit of a, you know, a, a nice increase in a short yeah. amount of time. However, what came along with that was that those individuals that did the weighted ball program, as opposed to those that used the, the, the non-weighted balls, every single non-weighted ball person did not have an injury, whereas there was a couple of injuries in the weighted ball program. And that's when things started to, to get concerning that 
This is the crux of the problem with these weighted ball velocity programs. We know they work. And by work, what I mean is it is increasing velocity in a shorter amount of time. The difficulty is we also know that these programs have an increased risk of injury compared to if you're not using weighted ball velocity programs. So I'm sure one thing you may ask is, what do we, what do we recommend, particularly in our younger throwers, not necessarily our professionals or even exactly. our collegiate athletes, but our high schoolers and our pre-high schoolers, saying, look, if you use this, you're probably going to throw harder, but you have a certain amount of risk that you may get a soft tissue injury or a stress fracture by doing it. And that's, that's been the challenge so far with these programs. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, you're dead on there. That's where it becomes difficult. I mean, everybody's looking for an edge. Everybody's looking to throw a couple miles per hour faster. That's, that's a substantial bump and could mean millions of dollars. If you make it to the pro level, obviously, you know, college scholarships, uh, probably more likely, but what is the, the risk associated with that? So how do you counsel your, your adolescent athletes who are looking at this? Is there a age cutoff where you're not comfortable with it? How do you go about so, that? So it's a really good question. And the way I do it is probably different from the way other folks do it. And there's no right or wrong answer. I think there's a couple, a couple I don't want to say rules, but a couple sort of suggestions I think hold true is number one, these weighted ball velocity throw, throwing programs if they're going to be done, they should be done under the supervision of experts. And what an expert is, is a trained physical therapist, a PhD, an athletic trainer, someone who has a history of working with throwing-related athletes, whether you are baseball, softball, javelin, cricket. And, and that's really important. You shouldn't try to do it on your own or just have mom or dad or the pitching coach say, hey, go buy these balls from, from a convenience store or sports store and just go do it. The second thing is, and there's not as much hard evidence, but the theory holds true, is you got to be really careful if these programs are being used in anybody who's skeletally immature. So that's a huge deal. Are you 12 or 13 or are you 15 or 16? You know, particularly in the elbow or the, the distal humerus, we really want to make sure that you, your bones have fused at that point. So if you're a, a high schooler, probably you want to get beyond about the freshman year, sophomore year of high school, just to be safe. Um, we don't want to advocate gain x-rays just to do weight and ball velocity programs. So based on our anatomy knowledge, we should probably wait until someone's at least maybe 15 or 16. The other thing is these programs should be used with a good training program, particularly a kinetic chain train program. They shouldn't be used as the primary thing. It can be used as an adjunct for sure. If you want to use it maybe once a week, with supervision of an expert, but you should be doing other stuff, a band program for your rotator cuff, a connect chain program, particularly working on your scapular musculature, your gluteal muscles, your balance, running, all that legs, flexibility, core, lumbar spine. That's the primary focus. And the way it involves would be more of an adjunct. But if someone wants to do it, they have to be aware of Yes, it can make you successful, but you also have to be aware of the risk. If you start developing pain, that's not just a little bit of an ache. If you start having pain with every throw, if you feel you don't have range of motion like you normally do, particularly in the elbow region, you should really stop and get assessed by an expert. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about pain and uh, kind of talking through that makes me wonder, what injuries do I need to be on the lookout for as a primary care sports medicine doc? Am I looking primarily elbow, shoulder, combination of all of the above? 
Well, it's interesting is some of the research that's come out um, even in the last year or so. And again, I think it's a, another study from Reinhold and, and his team have shown part of the mechanism that throwing harder is that you're increasing your shoulder external rotation by using these weighted balls, by having increased load on the shoulder as you get into maximum external rotation. However, what we are seeing and what I have anecdotally seen myself is more injuries in the elbow region than I'm seeing in the shoulder region. That doesn't mean shoulder's not going to happen. But what I've seen are the common injuries we think about in, in our young high school or pre-high school ages, your little league elbow, medial epicondylitis or epicondylosis. Occasionally, you're going to see a avulsion fracture of the medial epicondyle. But the other thing to be aware of are bony stress injuries. In particular, your olecranon and supracondylar region. I've seen three olecranon stress injuries, as well as two supracondylar stress injuries after starting a weighted ball velocity program. Now, again, this is anecdotal. This is just in my practice, which happens to be in a Southern state where folks can throw all year round. But that said, that that's one particular type of injury that I would be on the lookout for uh, and to not miss. So the, the bony stress injuries about the elbow region. Yeah, that's definitely concerning. I, I appreciate the, that rundown. I know with some other topics, pitch counts, things like that, the, the sports medicine societies and kind of major league baseball have taken great leadership roles in publicizing kind of the risks of exceeding those pitch counts. Is that something you think we need to be advocating for or is it too soon? And if it's too soon, what type of research do we need to be doing to prove whether this is safe or not? So from a pitch count standpoint, um, there have been guidelines in place at every state for at least uh, four years now. Um, a great resource to go to is Major League Baseball's Pitch Smart website in conjunction with Little League Baseball, Major League Baseball, and a significant amount of research from the American Sports Medicine Institute in Birmingham, Alabama. There's been a lot of recommendations on using pitch counts instead of inning counts, if you will. And then, in fact, to take it one step further, our team here at the University of Florida, uh, led, uh, led by me, uh, did a study in 2017 that showed the amount of pitches that one's thrown off a mound is actually substantially higher than you actually think it is. Because what happens is these pitch counts are live game pitches. So if you were a high school senior, the upper level of uh, allowable pitches is 105. Okay. But when you actually start to add in the bullpen warm-up, pitches between innings, what we found there's about 40% higher. Now we fully acknowledge that folks who are warming up in the bullpen or in warmups before each inning may not be throwing hundred percent maximum. We get that, but you're still pitching off of a mound. So if you throw hundred pitches in a game, you're really throwing 140, 150. Now that may not matter as much when you get up into the high level collegiate level and pro and major league levels. Um, but when you have a growing individual, an adolescent, a high schooler, that's something to look out for. So if you combine the, the kind of chronic overuse pitches combined with now this acute high-level stress of a weighted ball program, that's another concern. I'm all for trying to go out and play all the time, increase your workload, which is a whole other discussion unto itself. But you got to be really careful that your arm and your body is trained to do what you want to do. The easy example I always tell folks is if you want to run the Boston Marathon, you just want to show up in April and run it. No, you got to train for about six to eight months to do it. Otherwise, your entire body will be a stress fracture. 
It's the same concept with your arm. You have to train your arm and build up your workload. But if you're 12 years old and you can throw 57 miles per hour, picking up a, you know, a ball that's twice as heavy as you normally use it with open growth plates, it's not really a recipe for success. Absolutely. Uh, uh, first of all, from personal experience, I can say that showing up to run the Boston Marathon without training properly is is not ideal. I've done it twice. Once I trained properly and once I didn't, and uh, I paid for it the time I, I didn't train properly. Uh, second of all, if I'm uh, interpreting you correctly, what I'm hearing is that really it's it's a little bit early on to kind of make a strong recommendation one way or the other. It's not time for MLB or the AMSSM to be weighing in heavily, but that this is something we need to continue to monitor uh, and definitely discuss it with our patients, do shared decision-making and, and evaluate the risks and, and benefits and let them come to a decision on their own. Is, is that a good interpretation? Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for Major League Baseball, but from AMSSM perspective as a member and as a board of director, I would say I would strongly advocate cautioning with anybody with open growth plates or being skeletally immature and using these programs. And even if you do have closed growth plates, they should be used in conjunction with a connect chain train program and used under the supervision of an expert in these training programs to so not just go it out on your own. The other thing I wanted to mention, which is, which is really interesting, and this is why research is so important, there's a really nice study done looking at it from the reverse side. There's actually a study led by uh, Brian Erickson, who's a uh, orthopedic surgeon up in uh, uh, Philadelphia, uh, excuse me, New York. They looked at using lighter baseballs, so less than five ounces. And what they found is actually there were no pitching injuries and the velocity increased that way as well. So that's something to think about. That was something that came out about a year ago. And obviously with COVID probably got lost in the shuffle with everything, but it's a really interesting thought process. And it's the same concept of saying, if you take a, a heavy bat on the on deck circle and swing, thinking that it's going to be really hard to swing, you, then you get up to the plate, you can swing faster. There's the reverse thought process that if you take a lighter bat and swing faster, your muscles, you kind of speed things up. And it's, it's a lot more complicated physiologically but it's a really interesting concept. So that's something that's definitely ripe for more research, particularly in those folks who are, you know, skeletally immature. So are younger high schoolers and are middle schoolers and, you know, the, the, you know, the little leaguers. So this is definitely a burgeoning area of research. It, there's a ton of research, I think, growing. And because the, the major leaguers are throwing so hard now, it kind of trickles down from the major leaguers to the minors, NCAA, so on and so forth. So this is something that I think all sports medicine practitioners, sports performance folks, athletic trainers, physical therapists, we all need to be aware of. And I think a lot of us are, but just trying to make sure that we advocate and do things the right way. Yeah, if you want to use these programs, can, you can consider doing that, but it should not be the primary thing. It should be the uh, kind of the adjunct to a connect chain train program and a workload program. That's fantastic. And I think that's a great kind of review of, of the things you, you spoke of earlier as well. Any parting thoughts before we, uh, we close out today? Uh, no, uh, again, thanks for inviting me and for AMSM and BJSM for, you know, having a discussion on this topic. Uh, obviously you were in the summer right now and with sports back in, in many places in the country and the world. Um, I think it's really important that this niche, particularly those of us who are interested 
in throwing related injuries are, are aware of it. And, you know, it's, a, it's another area where we can really protect uh, from these kind of chronic overuse injuries from occurring in the first place. So hopefully uh, the audience enjoys this and love to chat again in the future. Sounds great, Jason. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And also thank you, the listener. Uh, I hope you found this time valuable and that you'll join us again soon for the next edition of the AMSSM Sports Medcast. The views expressed are those of the speakers and don't represent the official policy or position of the AMSSM, the United States government, United States Army, or the University of Florida.